So was, uh, before I just jump in this morning to <coughs> our message, was anybody else really sick this week? Okay, because I was wondering who gave me that bug this week. So these two in the front row. <laughs> no, I probably gave it to you. So <coughs> anyway, I got, I got company with... I have been sick like that for since I was a kid. I can't remember with the high fever, you know, and all that stuff. So I, I don't do the flu shots. So I, I think that's what it was. Anyway, I got it this year. So I had a lot of time to think, which is not always bad. And uh, sometimes the Lord just allows life to slow us down. And so I am thankful for his renewed strength. Well, we're going through Ephesians, and I have a question for you this morning. What's Jesus doing right now? Uh, you know, if you have notes there, just, I mean, just write it down. What's the first thing that comes into your mind? What's Jesus doing right now? What does he, what does he do all day? You know, I think, I think sometimes people have the impression that Jesus was here and he was really busy and he ministered to people and then you know, he died on that cross and he rose again and he ascended to heaven and now everybody's worshiping him. And you know, someday the Father's going to come and tap on his shoulder and say, hey, remember, remember back on earth there? Remember it's time to go back and get those people. Well, <clears throat> that is so far from the truth of what Jesus is doing right now, you, you can't even imagine. So, I'm going to just take a few moments as we start this message to just remind us, or maybe for some of you it will be new to understand what Jesus Christ is doing right now and what he does every day. Because we're going to look this morning in Ephesians, we're going to look at something else that Jesus does and uh, something else that he does for us. And uh, I think you'll find that exciting. All right, here's what we're going to start. We're just going to go through these. If you're following along there, it might help you. In your bulletin, there's a little sheet, and I'd like to share some of the things that Jesus is doing right now. Matthew 28, and I'm going to go through this. I don't have time this morning to, 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 to uh, take time. to. You can read through these, but I'm going to read them. Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. We find that in Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me, Jesus said, by his Father. Now, there's a little saying that goes, with authority comes what? Responsibility. And with responsibility comes Authority. So, you know, if you give somebody responsibility on a job, they have a new job, and you say, okay, this is your responsibility, well, then give them the authority to carry it out. Now, what's worse than somebody gives you responsibility and then they, you don't have the authority to carry it out? On the other hand, if you have authority, then you need to realize that with that authority you've been given now becomes a responsibility to live it out. So, Guess what? Jesus is given authority over all things in heaven and on earth. Can you imagine how much responsibility that is? And so, what Jesus is doing right now, in Ephesians 1.20 it says, He raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. Now, we have a little term. We talk about, we say, well, he's, he's like my right hand man. What does that mean? Well, that means that 
He's my guy. He's the guy that whenever I need something done, he does it. So Jesus is given the position of the Father's right-hand man. So in essence, what we see here is what is Jesus doing today? He is in charge of ruling over everything on heaven and earth. Now, the Father works with him, but he has the actual authority to carry that out. He's ruling over everything that's going on. The second thing, Acts 2.47, it says, The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So who adds to the church? There are people today around the world, there may even be people here today in this building that get saved. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says the Lord is the one that's adding to his church daily those who are being saved. So he's responsible for them. God knows who those people are. And so he has been working to orchestrate experiences. You know, some people share the gospel this week with people. Maybe the Lord was involved in that situation. Not maybe, he probably, he, if, he, if people are saved, the Lord is involved because he's the one that adds to those who are being saved. So Jesus is calling people to himself today. Hebrews 7.27, it says, He always lives to intercede the verse before that says he's able to completely save those who come to God because he always lives to intercede for them. So Jesus Christ is praying for you today. And when I say that, some of you are thinking about the person next to you or, or somebody else, but you're not really thinking about yourself. No, I'm talking about you, that Jesus is praying for you today. And there are people here that have a very hard time believing that because you don't think Jesus is concerned about you. You think he gave up on you a long time ago. Uh, you think you've disappointed him so many times that he doesn't listen anymore. I've got news for you. Jesus always lives to intercede, to intercede for his people. And so <clears throat> that is one of the things he's doing. He is praying for the needs of of his people. Ephesians 1.22, it says, God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him, who's Jesus Christ, to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body. So Christ is the head over everything, including his body. Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. And so... You know, I, uh, if, if I want to walk over there, my head has to tell my legs to do that. My legs don't get to decide where they're going to go. My, it has to come up here first. All right? And so I think we all know that. It starts in your head. It sends a message through your nerves to your muscles, and then you, you move and you do things. Uh, the head is what tells your mouth to speak, you know, when to speak up and when to shut up. It tells you both of those things. Hopefully, you know, if the head is working appropriately, that keeps you out of trouble. If it's not, it gets you into trouble. Your hands, you know, what goes on with your hands, it's, it's what goes on in your head. And so we see that Christ has his body and he is the head. If you cut off somebody's head, they lose all the functions of, the, of their body members, right? There's nothing... So the head is essential to the functioning of a body. Jesus Christ is the, the functioning head of his body, which is the church. 
And then in Acts 23, it says that he was exalted to the right hand of God. He's received from the Father the Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So Jesus is the one that pours out the Spirit of God upon people. So needless to say, what is Jesus doing today? He's, he's doing a lot. He's, he's operating as his right-hand man to the Father. He's, he's ruling over everything in heaven and earth. He's calling people to himself. He's interceding for his saints. He's functioning as the head of his body. He's pouring out his spirit. And today, we're going to look at one more thing that he's doing. He's distributing gifts to people. In fact, he distributes gifts to every one of his people. So if you are a child of God, then God is giving and empowering on a regular basis you with some gift. And so today and next Sunday, we're going to focus on that because that's pretty important. That affects every one of us in a very practical way in this room. So I'm going to read the text, and it may, it may sound a little bit complex here. You may not understand, you're probably not going to understand everything I'm going to read here, but we're going to come back and we'll walk through it. And I want to make sure we understand what, what is being said. We're going to look at verses 6 through 13. Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we'll start with verse 7. Here's what it says. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. That means as, as Christ has given it out. Now this is what it says. There's a little bit of an aside here. When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. That's probably a foreign concept to most of us, but we'll come back, I'm going to come back and talk about that. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And here's the purpose. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of some of, and the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, there's a lot there, but let's just go back and, and just walk through that. Because there's some really important stuff here to understand. Here's how this passage starts. With a very little word, very small word, but a very important word. And the word is, did you notice it in verse 7? But. But. Well, if you use the word but, it means it's contrasting something with something else. So if we look back, if we look back at what we just read, we find that he's saying, look, we're all saved the same way. One Lord, so one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one God and Father of our all, of all. A whole, he lists a whole bunch of things there that, that demonstrate the fact that we are, we are all saved through one similar faith. There is only one way to be saved. One way to be saved. You know, Muhammad Ali died this week. Maybe you know that. Probably one of the greatest known boxers in the history of the world. And... Uh, <clears throat> 
Muhammad Ali was uh, <coughs> of the Islam faith, and his daughter was writing, and his daughter is not of any, any, any religion. A third from his youngest daughter was re writing an article I was reading, and she just made a comment that you'll often hear people make, and she said at the end of the article, she said, well, I believe all religions are true, equally true. And, you know, that, that statement is, is simply just not true. All religions cannot be true. You can argue about which one is true or which, you know, some may say certain ones are true. But, you know, Christianity says very clearly over and over and over again, I'll quote Jesus. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus said, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So either Christianity's wrong, and there are other ways, always lead to God, or Christianity's right, and it's only through Jesus that we can come to the Father. And so we see here that the Bible here is again claiming there's, there's only one faith and one Lord and, and one baptism and salvation is only through one way, even though people get saved in all kinds of different ways and circumstances. And, you know, we have all kinds of different testimonies of here. Some of you were saved in very dramatic ways. And, uh, you know, people love to hear your testimony. Then there's testimonies like mine. Some of you have testimonies like mine. I, I grew up from a young age in the church and you know, when was I saved? Man, I can't, I don't, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure which year it was at camp because I went forward about four years at camp uh, to receive Christ or Sunday school. Was it third grade or fourth grade? Or I, I just can't remember. We know what it doesn't, what really, what, the only thing that really matters is what you believe right now. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ and you know him in a personal way, that's the only thing that really matters. It doesn't matter if you can remember the date that that happened or not. And so we see that we have all these different experiences, but we all come the same way. And you know what? The person that has the very miraculous story and the person that has the very simple story, you know that it takes the same miracle in every person's life to come to salvation. It's just as miraculous. What God did in your life is just as miraculous as anybody else's life. You know what? It takes just as big a miracle to forgive your sin as it does to forgive my sin. Because my sin is just as serious before God as your sin. There's no, no difference here. You know, I am, I am fully adopted as God's child by faith. So are you if you're a Christian. You're fully adopted, fully redeemed, fully forgiven, Fully everything. It's all the same in terms of salvation. In terms of salvation. Now in chapter 7, he's going to talk about something a little different. He says, but. But when it comes to living out our Christian life, there's something different. And so he's going to talk about a diversity now. And there's a unity in this diversity but it's a diversity that comes within the people of God. And what we're going to learn over the next, this Sunday and next Sunday, we are really different from each other. And you know what? That's okay. It's okay if we'll let that be okay. 
You know, if I don't have to be as passionate about something as you are, you don't have to be as good at something as I. If we don't have to get into comparing to each other, we can just live out whatever God has given us. Because you notice what it said there. It says God has given each of us grace as he has apportioned it. So what you're able to do is what God gives you. You, you don't, in the church, you don't exercise these gifts we're going to be talking about because you just decide you want to do it or because you're really good at it. You, you do it because Jesus is the one that is giving you this grace to be able to do it. He's giving you the ability to do it. And so we're going to get a lot more into that in the days ahead. So what's this thing here about it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Well, this is a picture of what was very familiar in the first century. Because when a conqueror went out, he would conquer uh, a, an enemy and he would capture all of the captives that were left and he would, they would bind them together in a long line, all of the captives and they would take all of the gifts and all of the spoils that they had captured from the enemy, and, and then they would march them all back into the town where this conquer, you know, the, the main city or the capital, and they would march them through the streets as a display to all the people that the enemy had been captured. And the other thing that they would do is they would distribute the gifts out to the people. And so... That's the picture here. And the picture here is that when Christ came and took on the enemy of us, which was Satan, and all of the hosts and all the demons, that he conquered them and he disarmed them, that the picture here is that he marched back and all of the, all of the enemies of God, all of the, those that he had disarmed, and <clears throat> Satan and his hosts, are now displayed as no longer being armed, and that he then also gave gifts to men. That's, a, that's kind of the analogy here that the writer is using. Now, there's one other word here I want you to see, and I mentioned it, but it's the word grace. To each one of us has been given grace. That the literal word means they're grace gifts. So if you place your faith in Christ, you get a grace gift. Nobody gets left out. Nobody. Nobody. That's what it says. It says to each one of us, each one of us, a grace gift has been given. And so <clears throat> it's pretty, uh, it's, it can be pretty important, and it should be pretty exciting to just, Discover what that gift is that God has given to you. And by the way, there's one thing you need to understand about grace gifts and everything that God does. Everything that God gives to individuals, he intends for the building up and the good of the entire body. God doesn't, God doesn't give me grace gifts simply for me. He gives them that others around me might benefit them. So if I'm not exercising that gift, then I'm not using it for the purpose for which it was intended, and it's not going to be a benefit to others, and in the end, it's not going to be a benefit to me as well. 
verses 11 through 13. He's going to mention just some of the gifts. Next week, we're going to go and we're going to read a couple more passages that really expand this. But this is what he says. It was he, Jesus, who gave... Now, this is an example of some of these grace gifts. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And the purpose of those giving those people those gifts was notice to do something, not for themselves, but it was to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. I'll just stop right there. <clears throat> so there's these, there was gifts of, to be apostles. Apostles were people who had a special gift to go out and start churches. The ultimate, was a, ultimate one was the Apostle Paul. So what did he do? He, he devoted his life to starting churches all over. He started a church and they'd move on. And there'd be a pastor and a teacher then that would come in and, and guide and guard and protect and, and shepherd that flock of people. And so apostles are given as gifts. Uh, prophets are given you know, in, in this day, there was, there was no established New Testament. People didn't have Old Testaments that they, uh, you know, they were few and far between. And so prophets were those that spoke the word of God and those that spoke it truthfully. But there were also false prophets. Because anybody could come along and say, well, I just heard a word from God. And so there's a lot written in the Bible about how you need to test the prophets and you need to discern what's from God. We have the scripture which uh, that process of, uh, that has been gone through with the scriptures. And so we know that what we read is from God. But there are prophets and apostles that were given. Then there are pastors we see that are given. And teachers. Pastors care for and guard the sheep. Teachers guide the sheep. And so we have apostles, prophets, evangelists. I think evangelists share the gospel in a unique way. They have a special gift to do that. Bring people in, then pastors pastor them, then teachers guide them. And so God here is providing people that help build up the church. Now, we're not going to get into that this morning, but it goes beyond... It goes beyond just these things because people are being prepared for works of service. And that will take and that will use out, uh, use the gifts that God is giving to individuals that we'll talk about next week. In one of my favorite passages in the, is in the book of chapter 2 in the end where it says that we are his workmanship created to do good works. And so God is in his goal and vision to use all of us to do good works. He will gift us to be able to do those works. Let me just <clears throat> kind of give you the big picture then. And that is that God is bringing together, he's calling out his church, and he's giving all of us gifts so that together we might grow together. 
There's one word I, I want to just focus on, and I think it's really an important word because it shows what the church is supposed to be about. I think if the church isn't about what I'm going to share with you, then I think we've missed the purpose here. It says that God gives these gifts in order to, and here's the word, it's in, chapter, it's in verse 12, to prepare God's people. You might have the word there, to equip God's people. Equip God's people. I want to show you another place where that word is used. I'll go way back to Matthew's Gospel. And uh, I'm going to put this up so you can read it. But this is Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. It says, And Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into a lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Did you catch the word? Preparing their nets. It's the exact same word used here as what we just read in the book of Ephesians. Exact same word. The word prepare is the word that's used to set a, a, if a bone is broken when you set it, it's that word. Or it literally means to be mending a net. Mending a net. So here's the picture. The picture is that you take these, these fishermen went out with these nets and they cast them out into the sea and there's all kinds of stuff on the bottom. There's rocks, there's uh, <clears throat> you know, branches, and, and they work these nets. And as they work them every week, by the end of the week, they're pretty, ra- they're pretty ragged. And they bring them in, and you know, maybe they're not getting very many fish, and they're not functioning very well, and they bring them up, and my goodness, there's big holes in the net. And so a big part of what a fisherman did, and you'd often see fishermen sitting around, mending their nets. They're mending their nets. And what this becomes then is, the, is a picture, and I think, it's a, I think it's a great picture of what the church, how the church functions on a very practical level. Is that we as people go out and we live our lives, and in the fray of life, and everything that takes place in life, those nets get torn and they get snagged and we come back and they need to be mended. What do you think happens with a hole in the net if you don't mend it? Well, it just gets bigger. And next week it's bigger. And next week it's bigger. And if you're not coming to a place which is enabling you to mend your net, pretty soon you're not going to be catching any fish symbol is you're not going to be functioning in the way in which God intended you to function. You're not going to feel productive because there are too many holes in your net. Church should be a place. The church can be the place. The church is a place where you can come and if you're willing to avail yourself, if you're willing to commit to it, you know, I hear people say, well, you know, I love Jesus and I believe in Jesus, but I don't really have time for the church. Well, if you don't have time for the church, then you don't have time for Jesus because guess what? The church is Jesus' body. I've said this many times before, but you, you, can't, you can't decapitate Christ. 
Christ is the head and he has a body. If you want to be committed to Christ, if you want to love Christ, you've got to love his church. You've got to be committed to his church. If you want to experience the ministry of Jesus, you've got to be part of his church because sometimes the only hands you're going to feel are the hands of his body. That's his church. And so the church is to be a place where we find that healing in our lives. When Lazarus came out of the tomb, Jesus raised him from the dead. What did he say? It was the first thing he said to his disciples. He said, unwrap him, because he was all covered with grave clothes. Well, why didn't Jesus unwrap him? Why didn't he bring him out unwrapped? He certainly couldn't have done that. If you can raise somebody, somebody from the dead, you can make their grave clothes fall off. But no, that was the job of the people is to unwrap them. And I, I think metaphorically it's kind of a symbol that we get saved, God breathes new life, but now we have to get unwrapped. And the church is a place where we're supposed to unwrap people, unbind people, not tie people up, not place burdens on people. And so I think it's a great picture of what the church is about. We grew up, we live, we come from a very messy world, from messy families. We are torn and worn along the way. And the church is to be that kind of a place. You look on the back of the bolt, and one of our, one of our values is this. We, we are committed to investing in people. And this is what we're talking about. We are committed to seeking that God would allow this to be a place where we truly prepare God's people, where we mend God's people, where we set broken bones for people. Here's the final verse, verse 13. He said, Do this until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. That's God's goal for us. God's goal for us, we can understand that. You have kids? You know, when they're five, they act like they're five, and, and you can't wait till they're a little older. And then they're nine, and then, you know, you're still, we, we accept them at whatever age they're at, but we, we, we realize they're age-appropriate behavior. But our goal is for them to grow up into fully mature people. That's what God's desire is for us as a church, is that we would grow up. And, and what does that look like when we grow up? Well, it tells us right here until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what does it mean to be mature? It's very simple. When people look at us at a mature church, they see Christ. They say, oh, that's, that's what Christ would look like. That's how Christ would respond. That's, that's what Christ looks like. You know, when I'm, when I'm there, I feel like I'm with Christ. That's, that's what it would mean to be mature. If we could be fully mature... And we're certainly not fully mature as a body of Christ, but that's our goal. That's what it would look like. And I want to remind you today, and I've said this before, but I want to remind you that God's doing a work. In Ephesians 2, it says, we are his workmanship, so once you place your faith in Christ, you are now God's workmanship. Here's, a, here's another word for that. You are God's piece of art. So God is mending you, he's, he's, he's restoring you, and he's, he's creating a masterpiece. You are unique. He gives you unique gifts, things that you do uniquely. And ultimately, his goal is that you would be perfectly mature 
in Christ. That means that you would look in the image of God, you would perfectly display Jesus Christ. That's not what he might do. That is what he will do. And so Scripture says, He who began this good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it. And if I were to take a poll here today, 98% of you, for sure, I'm, I'm guessing in your hearts, think, man, I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near anything like exemplifying Christ. But I want you to remind you that that is God's end game in your life. That's what he's going for. That's what he's going to accomplish. And that's what God will do. And so every day when you get up, you should be mindful that God is conforming you and I into the image of his son. We're out of time this morning. And so we're just going to draw a line there. And we're going to come back and, uh, next week and we're going to continue this, this, uh, these thoughts about the, the body of Christ and what God is gifting each one of us with.